The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hacky Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. And today we're having my friend from Ireland return to us, the famous Jude Morrow, a dad, a self-advocate, autistic, wonderful, and going out and spreading the good word about neurodiversity and tools we can use. Jude, how are you? Thanks so much for the kind introduction. I'm not sure about the famous part, but yes, indeed, I am Jude Morrow, and uh, I, I'm doing really well. It's been uh, it's been a bit of a whirlwind year. Uh, a lot has uh, went on uh, since the last time we spoke, which I believe was last June. So, uh, yeah, a lot of exciting updates and progress since then, I have to say. Well, introduce yourself properly so that those new viewers and listeners can know about you. Well, my name's Jude Morrow, and I am an autistic social worker, author, and now just turned uh, entrepreneur. I'm the founder and CEO of Neurodiversity Training International. I decided to write my story called Why Does Daddy Always Look So Sad? Because I am an autistic dad to a non-autistic son. So I thought that I would change the narrative a little bit and give a perspective on parenting through the autistic lens. And at the time, Hacky, when we last spoke, I'd self-published the book because at that time, whenever I submitted it to literary agents, nobody really wanted it. Uh, so I thought, I'm going to go on ahead and publish the book anyhow. But after I had released it, it had climbed up the Amazon charts so much that I got a literary agent who's based in California, Deborah Jacobs, who's incredible. And the book was taken on by Beyond Words Publishing, the publisher of The Secret. So between August of last year and the start of this year, we'd worked on re-releasing the book, getting all the promo behind it, uh, getting everything up to scratch, ready to go. And then, of course, it was scheduled for release on the 7th of April, 2020, which uh, was paired along with a trip to the Bay Area to do a guest lecture at Stanford or two, a couple of book signings, a couple of meeting uh, autism and neurodiversity groups. Of course, the world then decided to end due to COVID. So none of that actually happened. But I made good use of the lockdown time by establishing NTI, which is a training platform delivered by an autistic person using research that primarily involves the autistic community. So it's a real kind of look into what autism is through the eyes of people who live with it every day, not just the eyes that look at it from the outside. Yeah, it's, so, uh, it's just so much better, I feel, to have the self-advocate's point of view than all of the so-called experts uh, talking about it. Of course, both are, are good, but uh, I'd much rather hear it from you now. Tell us about your fatherhood. Well, fatherhood wasn't always easy for me. It's not. I don't think it's necessarily easy for every single uh, father that uh, joins the parenting kind of cause for the first time. But whenever I learned that Ethan was coming along, at that time, I didn't accept the fact that I was autistic myself. I thought it was something for little people and that because I had a job and a girlfriend and a car and my own house that I thought that I had somehow left the autistic side of me behind. Although becoming a father really blessed me with two things. It blessed me with my son, Ethan, who's now seven. And it 
made me realize that I had to accept and love myself for who I am and not suppress it and hide it any longer. Because as I grew up, I, w- I always knew I was different. I'm autistic and I was aware of what people around me said. I was always acutely aware of the concerns that my parents had for me, like what's life going to be for Jude when he grows up and will Jude ever get a job or have a family of his own? And of course, I did do all those things. But whenever Ethan was born, um, Ethan didn't eat the same things all the time. He didn't enjoy the same activities all the time. And like the rigid routine of which I had, which I had developed as a coping mechanism, to the point where he asked what, well, hopefully become the most iconic question in all of uh, literature, which was, why does daddy always look so sad? Because even as a three-year-old boy, he could see that the kind of challenge of fatherhood and the challenge of trying to suppress who I really am was so evident on my face that he could actually see it. And I suppose that was the cheesy inspirational speaker moment that I had to make changes and uh, hopefully create a better environment for people coming after me to accept themselves much, much earlier in life. The inspiration that one's child is able to give one is quite amazing. <laughs> it's <laughs> one of a kind, one of a kind. Uh, absolutely. He's so, so aware. He knows me so well. We're, we're like two peas in a pod. And that's, it's, a nice, uh, it's a nice little arrangement that we have because he lets me into his world because it's a world that I don't really know much about. Uh, and the intimate level of uh, like a father-son relationship. He is a different way of perceiving and interacting. He lets me in there. So he knows I'm not like him. And every now and again, I let him into my universe as well. And I think he likes him for the most part. Tell us about your relationship with your parents when you were growing up. My, my parents are the gold standard in what every parent should adopt whenever they have an autistic or any neurodiverse child in their household. They never let me use being autistic as an excuse. They never used it to mollycoddle me or they never used it to overly shelter me from uh, independence because I'm, I'm the youngest, it's only me and my sister. And they always had this wonderful idea that whenever uh, both of their children would grow up that they would have their newfound freedom and independence and they taught me independent loving skills. They taught me to stand on my own two feet. But to most importantly, be proud of who I am. Now, we do have a special guest who has joined us. This is Ethan, who has come in for a nosy. This is the famous child that asked, why does daddy always look so sad? Here he is. Hello, Ethan. Hey, Ethan. So good to see you. I'm <laughs> Hacky. Give Hacky ah. a wave. <laughs> there he is, Ethan. I heard a lot of great things about you, Ethan. Yeah, he has heard a lot of great things about you. Whenever I uh, talk to different people, talk to different groups, do interviews like this, Ethan always has to know who it is. <laughs> so this is Dr. Hacky Reitman, and he is a big, big fan of yours. Absolutely. <laughs> you, Ethan, you have a lot of fans out there in the world. Ethan does have a lot of fans. Whenever uh, Ethan and I go to groups. It's Ethan who they want to meet. Even whenever people want to interview me, it's Ethan who they want to talk to. Nobody really cares about me. I only wrote the book and set up NTI, but the main reason, the main catalyst behind it all, everybody wants to know who it is, and it's this wonderful little boy here. See? There it is. <laughs> uh, what's better than that? There's nothing better than that. Exactly. Good there to see you, Ethan. 
<laughs> Says bye. He's waving bye bye. <laughs> What's better than a hug from he your always, child, huh? Yeah, he always needs to say, and that was not orchestrated. Uh, he wanted he, he wanted my he wanted my phone to watch some YouTube videos. Um, but back to the question about my own parents. My parents didn't allow my differences to impact their parenting or to impact my personal growth. And I think that is a real, real important thing. I think my parents always knew that it would be easy to shelter me from the outside world and from other people and to protect me as much as they could. And that's the natural, natural instinct of parents. But they knew that deep down I was an independent, fiery child that wanted to make his mark in the world even from a young age. So they nurtured that. That's the most important thing. They're the most nurturing, loving people in the world, and I'd be nowhere without them. Tell us from your perspective the effect you feel that coronavirus times has had on the autistic community. Oh, I, I mean, for the autistic community particularly, for those of us who are very well accustomed to routine and acutely feel change um, more than the general population, it's really, really been a horrible thing, not just for, you know, the, you know, the viral contagion that's out there, but for all the consequences that go along with it, the likes of lockdown, loss of jobs. I mean, the percentage of employed people in the autistic community, those of us who are in paid employment, is only 16%. And with COVID-19, it would be very interesting to see what the figures are like now, because certainly with mass unemployment um, starting to kick in, that's only going to get lower. So other than that, the only real method of communication is via Zoom, via things like this, because a lot of, you know, support groups and adult groups for parents, kids, teens, adults, uh, even just get togethers of autistic adults. I've done that from time to time. And I have to say, I do miss it, where a, a lot of us are longing for uh, the world that came before this one. But there's been some positive impacts as well, where for me, I always wanted to set up my own platform, my own business to do speaking and training and meeting autistic people full time. So it did allow me the time to do that. And for any of our special interests or talents or goals that we had, lockdown certainly gave us the time to chase those things and in a lot of cases make them a reality. So with me, I wouldn't call myself a social butterfly as such. And maybe a lot of us aren't really social butterflies. But a lot of us really have been social distancing our entire lives. So maybe for some of us, it's maybe a bit more welcome. But I suppose it is a bit, a bit raw whenever routine and life itself has been completely flipped on its head. But we're a resilient bunch. We'll get there. <laughs> well said. Um, I think that's a natural segue for you to tell us more since we're talking about employment and activities and everything else is to... Tell us uh, about Neurodiversity Training International. Whenever I started to accept myself as being autistic, I wanted to learn more about the autistic community itself and what's out there in terms of awareness and training and so on. And the start of this journey started by an autism awareness coffee morning uh, in a hotel near to me. So I thought one day that I would go and I'll tell you what I learned at this autism awareness coffee morning. I learned that the coffee was cold. I learned that the carrot cake was quite dry. I learned that not many people there were actually autistic. 
I learned that the organizer's uh, father sadly passed away a few weeks before. So the bottom line is I didn't really learn a lot about autism and autistic people itself. It was just the, this label that was stuck on this coffee morning. So I wasn't deterred and I enrolled in an accredited autism awareness training session. And all I heard from it were the negative stereotypes that have plagued us for decades. Like, we can't make eye contact, we don't make friends easily, we have obsessive and repetitive behaviours, and it's called ASD, Autistic Spectrum Disorder. And listening to that training, I didn't stay to the end, and it was probably the first time I cried without my son being born, graduating, or someone close to me having died, that that's what the world thinks of us as a community. That's what people think I am, is that I have a disorder. And it led me to ask, Disordered compared to who? And the answer to that is the majority who have two real horrible powers, one being they can decide what's correct and incorrect and can decide what's right and wrong. So I got deeply involved in neurodiversity circles, talking to other self-advocates like me to learn what the real issues we face actually are, not what other people believe that we face. The problems that we face are exclusion, isolation, and falling victim to real horrible stereotypes and it being propagated in, under the umbrella of autism awareness. And I took it upon myself to decide that the days of autism awareness training are over for the reason being that it only makes people aware of negative things. And if people don't know what autism is in this day and age, I would be very, very surprised. Where have you been? So I decided that a lot of the materials and training such as this didn't apply to me and they didn't apply to a lot of people like me. So I decided to set up my own platform, my own training company, have it accredited using research that involved the autistic community um, to better inform the practice of teachers and parents. And my parents were instrumental to the, uh, the formation of the training because it's the training that they wish that they had to have whenever I was young to be um, really properly equipped that being autistic is just a difference. It's not a deficit with the right attitude and the right tools. I even consulted my old teachers and none of them would have had autism training back in the middle of the 1990s whenever I was at school. And it shocked me to hear that a lot of them don't really have it now. So I want every teacher parent and workplace to have a sound understanding of what neurodiversity is, to learn about the issues we actually face, not what others think we face, and to offer that platform for autistic voices to say there is a better way and that way is through inclusion. Tell us more about your book for those in our audience who'd like to uh, learn more about your book. Well, why does daddy always look so sad is my story of growing up as an autistic child in a mainstream school and growing up, going to university and becoming a father and then accepting myself for who I am. Because I say that I originally wrote that book to help autistic people all around the world. Really, what that book was for was for my son, Ethan, to help him to see that my educational and life journey is not like his and won't be like his. Mine was totally, totally different. Just to give him a sense of where his dad came from and kind of what everything that I had to overcome to get to where I am now. And I suppose 
a lot of autistic people can view their life as one hurdle after another. But but you know by by the end of it, I I did view my life as one victory after another. And autistic people, when they accept themselves, good things happen. Whenever they meet like-minded people, good things happen. And suppressing, hiding, denying, masking, while they're all still sad. It doesn't really work in the long run and it gets really, really uh, exhausting. But it's available at all major online retailers and it's published by Beyond Words, the publisher of The Secret. I absolutely love saying that. I couldn't believe it whenever they picked the book up. And yeah, give it a read. And uh, there has to be a little apology disclaimer uh, along with that and that the language that the book's written in wouldn't really be seen as neurodiversity friendly language. However, it is a testament to that's the language that I was kind of brought up with and I've become accustomed to over time. So, um, I mean, if I were writing the book again, uh, there's a lot of language choices in it that I wouldn't use. But at the same time, it serves to show kind of how far I've come myself, where uh, I did believe myself to have a disorder or a condition at the time, even whenever I was writing the book. So, uh, I mean, the sentiment of the story remains the same for what it's worth. How else can our audience learn more about you and your work? I have two websites at this moment in time. I have my judemorrow.com website and my, the NTI website is www.neurodiversity-training.com and reach out to me at neurotraininternational at gmail.com. I am well, well known to reply, for replying to absolutely everything that people send me so if anybody has any messages questions inquiries feedback anything please please get in touch with me and i always do get back so um yeah they're the main ways and i'm on social medias and linkedin as jude morrow and neurodiversity training international as well so i'm very easily found i've made myself easily found for the first time in a long time so people can reach out to me i don't hide in corners anymore i'm uh i'm quite approachable so please feel free to reach out to me and uh, let's talk. What is the one thing that you wish that everyone knew about neurodiversity? Neurodiversity is a strictly social model and the real key principles of the social model is understanding and acceptance. Neurodiversity should be uh, the gold standard to which all autism education and professional education is based on for parents, for professionals, everyone. It gives everyone the opportunity to be heroes for autistic people, and I urge everyone to take that chance. Jude Morrow, it's been a pleasure to have you here. We hope you'll come back soon. Thank you very much. And thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org.